The Power Connect podcast is brought to you by InnoWatts. Discover the InnoWatts difference today at InnoWatts.com. Coffee's cheap, you know. My job is to have those 30-minute conversations and then to see patterns. And then after that, the job is connecting people. Either to make us all money somehow, to progress the technology, to get employees to join, get new investors in. These are interesting. These are actually Silicon Valley problems that Silicon Valley has solved. Silicon Valley understands how to scale businesses in really interesting ways because they understand how to build and utilize networks and connections to create products and drive businesses and scale and form capital and customer relationships and that sort of thing. The rest of the world that knows energy, like Texas, has got to figure out how to do some of that to scale this stuff in the energy transition because it can't be done the way it was done before. Welcome into the Power Connect Podcast. I'm your host, Fred Davis, episode 51 of the program, rolling along on a Thursday. I'm glad to have you guys on board as we are each and every episode. Part two of our Neil Dykeman conversation going down today. Look, it's been a busy last couple of weeks, and so I do apologize for not uh, not getting some episodes out to you. We've got a slate of episodes coming up here in the next couple of weeks, and then, of course, we've got a tremendous month of December on tap as well, content-wise, so Look, I know we've been kind of backed up a little bit. We had a tremendous, tremendous webinar that went down last week with the folks over at InnoWatts. Uh, shout out to uh, Krishnan Cassie, Chief Innovation Officer over at InnoWatts. I'm not going to even try to pronounce his last name. He told me how to pronounce it, and I don't want to uh, insult the man. Uh, and then Mr. Ruzbe Amirazodi from over at Rhythm Energy. If you haven't seen the webinar, go to InnoWatts.com, click on the pop-up, and go to the uh, go to the landing page that we created for it. All things forecasting, all things uh, as far as what Rhythm's been able to do in the short amount of time that's been around and is now one of the top 10 retail energy providers in the space, and so just an absolute fun time, uh, very insightful, very informative, and again, it's not your typical like uh, 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 type webinar. Uh, we kept that thing moving, and of course, uh, if you've known me for any amount of time. If you know I'm moderating something, you know we're going to make sure it is popping off, and we certainly did that. So again, shout out to uh, Rhythm Energy, Ruse Bay, Krishnan, Inawats. We did a tremendous job. Go check it out. Finding a rhythm, forecasting, and innovating in a renewable age. We had a good time. Check it out. We think you'll enjoy it. Speaking of Inawats, look, let me tell you about Inawats podcast partner. Look, the winter attempts are here, and market volatility is the norm. Oil and gas prices are still high, and the question for retail energy providers is, how can I get my load forecast even tighter for the days and weeks ahead while utilities are thinking, how can we improve our demand forecasting and glean insights into how our customers are consuming energy? There is a way, and it's Inawats' energy data platform that is recognized recognizes one of the most accurate demand forecasting tools in energy. Thanks to its proprietary AI and machine learning powered processes and capabilities that are also providing profitability, risk management, and carbon insights that allow its customers to make faster and smarter decisions that are leading to higher revenue outcomes. Go to InnoWatts.com today to learn more about the InnoWatts difference and how it can work for you or follow InnoWatts on their LinkedIn page. All right, let's get right down to today's episode. Episode number 51, Neil Dykeman, Energy Transition Ventures, part two of our conversation. Again, if you listen to part one, if you haven't yet, go check it out. 
great insight from a veteran of the clean tech space. And when I do talk about clean tech space, a, being a veteran of it, uh, Neil Dykeman is certainly that guy. What do we get into in today's episode? Because, you know, look, we don't do a lot of part twos with folks, but with Neil Dykeman, we had no choice. Why? Because he's just that kind of guy. Uh, we get into the evolution of clean tech. He talks a little bit about his former blog, and we, we're still running it, but how it started out as kind of a marketing tool and what it's developed into, uh, that being cleantech.org. We get into it, how it was going to be the Craigslist for clean tech. So he talks a little bit about that. Uh, how Silicon Valley, which obviously he's got a lot of experience in, and how Texas need to come together. There needs to be better communication and how they can work together for a better clean tech environment. Why networking and utilizing your network is vital in today's day and age. He gives more startup tips and he's got a very interesting answer on the IRA, aka the Inflation Reduction Act, and any kind of future political ambitions. Again, it's Neil Dykeman. Need I say more? One of my favorite conversations and just one of my favorite people in the space, and I certainly think you will agree. So without further ado, one of the founding partners of Energy Transition Ventures, Mr. Neil Dykeman. I wrote the What is Clean Tech? the first history of the term clean tech in about 2007 or so. And there were a couple of media firms that helped create it, the Clean Tech Group and Clean Edge, which would do media, put on conferences, and discussion with some of the founders over there and a few other people that were around at the time. Nobody can quite pinpoint who coined it. There was an April of 2001 Clean Edge report that the guys had put out that used the term, not really as a term of art, but pretty close. Okay. And so that's the first really written piece. The clean tech group was set up around that time. And so the, the, between the two of them, and there was a handful of venture capitalists, um, uh, Nancy Floyd, who was over at, at Inth Power, there's a few others that were, someone in that group kind of got the coinage. Okay. And then it emerged and it got popularized by those groups and a few others. The clean tech group, was a powerhouse for a long time. Uh, you know, Keith Rabb and Nick Parker you know, had set up, they were the, their conference was the place to go if you were a startup, or more importantly, if you were a venture capitalist doing clean tech. And they probably get more credit than anyone for having popularized the term and creating it as essentially an umbrella asset class for, I used to call it the imperial term. It sucks in all sectors around it. So there was at, at IT, biotech, and venture capitalists were looking for something new because software was, IT was dead. Yeah. We, were at, we were in the tech rack, tech rack post.com. Yeah, so I think everybody was looking for kind of the next big thing, and yeah, these guys had helped manage to popularize a term around stuff that people wanted to do. Before that, wave one was, you use the term energy tech, there's energy venture fair, NREL energy growth forum, there's a bunch of stuff going on. Yeah, but much smaller. It was utility driven. It was actually all copying Enron. All of the first wave money pre-2001, the late 90s money in energy tech was deregulation and distributed generation and gas as a convergence fuel driven. So 2001, 2005, even, and even that 2001 timeframe, things like solar were barely a thing. Okay. The solar companies that existed then were smaller than an R&D project at a solar company today. Right. Yeah, the, uh, the, mark, the trade show marketing budget was bigger, the, the, of today's companies was bigger than those companies. Yeah, there's some really cool, Astropower, you know, 
Evergreen Solar, you know, Ovonics, ECD, some really cool companies. Yeah, and, but it was, it was young. And so even that sector didn't really explode until the 03 to 05, 06, 07 time frame. Okay. And then the sector got its legs under it, essentially in the, 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 the green wave. Yeah. Calpers and Calsters put up you know, $500 million to go into funds that would invest in clean tech. And this was the first real institutional money that was going to back funds. So it exploded. Before that, it had been some high net worth money, corporate money, you know, smaller fund stuff. Yeah. And so all the mainstream VCs started, okay, maybe this stuff isn't bad. Uh, Kleiner Perkins and a couple others didn't like the term clean tech because they wanted their own brand. So they started to popularize the term green tech, which got nowhere and, and died after a few years. What well, did? There were some media companies. There was a, there was a, there was a, there was a nomenclature war. Now we have climate tech because clean tech is, is old. Those, those were the people who didn't make money. Not true, not true. The cool kids didn't make money, other people did. So, but now climate tech, all the cool kids call it climate tech. Yeah. I, I, I'm not one of the cool kids, in case you haven't figured that out. We call it energy transition, which is more of the corporate boardroom strategic term that has become kind of the large term of the art. That didn't pass clean tech as a search term for stuff until middle of the pandemic. Okay. Yeah, climate tech, of course, wasn't really a thing up until the last year or so, and now the, the cool kids have got it. Yeah, so nobody uses clean tech anymore, except it just gets slipped into conversation because, well, it is kind of the umbrella term of art that describes everything. It really is, isn't it? It is. That was the beauty of what Nick and Keith had. It's just brilliant, right? They had literally created the imperial umbrella term. And I, I, at one point, had written all these, this list of the definition of clean tech. So I wrote kind of the first seminal definition thing. And there were a whole bunch of warring definitions, which basically consisted of lists of stuff, sectors that comprise it. Ag tech is clean tech, by the way. Water tech is clean tech. Sure. Energy is clean tech. Climate tech is, it's all clean tech. There's only three sectors. IT, biotech, and clean tech, and venture, all the rest of them fit into one of those. Okay, and so you, 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 you go over to uh, Jane Capital. What was well, Jane and I started it. J there is a Jane of Jane Capital. My partner for a dozen years named Jane Linder, she was one of the first female VCs in the Valley, really, was at a firm called W.I. Harper. She'd hired me at GlobalGate, which was the fund behind yellowpages.com and a few others. And then she and I partnered to found Jane Capital. So uh, number one, she was older and more experienced than me. I won't tell you how much older, she'd get very mad. Yeah. But uh, I had no brand, right? It was her relationship. Okay. She, I, I told her when we started this, hey, I, in order to launch this thing, we need a big brother. We need a, somebody to work for. And, and we need an advisor, somebody kind of some gray hair to help us. So she's like, all right, makes a couple phone calls. And we closed Macquarie Bank as our anchor customer. We were the advisor to their tech fund. They're who trained, they were an investor, and in one of the guys was on the board of Global Gate. They, they were a yeah, big IT investor in Australia. The, the team there, we basically were running the Macquarie venture model at, okay. at Jane Capital for years, very successful. And then she called her friend, Adelaide Stevenson, who'd been on the board of Global Gate for us, and said, we'd like you to be our 
main advisor. We had a few others, but those are the first two phone calls. I'm like, oh, all right, this, this is going to work. Well, you said it's kind of like the godfather of FinTech. Well, I think he is. He invented the CRADA, which all these people are working under. He invented the TLO, you know, invented if government people invent stuff. He, he literally wrote the bills <laughs> and wrote behind. the law, right? But, yeah, the, he wasn't a known name as a clean tech name at the time because, you know. You can argue nobody was, though, yet, right? Because it was such a nascent industry. Was. Just, just Keith and Nick. Okay. And I'm, I'll, I'll send this podcast to them. They will get a kick out of it. Yeah, they're great. They're still in the business at various spots and doing, okay. doing, doing things. But they, you know, it's like, where did all this stuff came from? Well, a company said, we're going to found one. And they set up the conference for clean tech. And they were kind of genius because they go get all the investors at the table. They were, they were geniuses at getting the money to come to the table. And so it was the place you would go, keep, keep the riffraff out, you know, only, only the investor types. And they, and they, let, they let us in because, well, I guess they kind of liked us. We were entertaining or some such. But, yeah, they managed to keep that brand driven a decade. But it, it created the term. It created a place to go. So we launched cleantech.org as essentially a marketing project for Jane Capital. And we started with the idea of it's the Craigslist for cleantech. Where do you, there's no center of gravity in our sector. It's everywhere. The, the, the startups are all over the world. The investors are all over the world. The team, the customers are. It's not like the Valley. So we create one on the web. So we hired a guy. We registered a domain and started to build out a portal using the InRel investor database and yeah, a library of 600 research notes that's still on there called the Ufto notes that was a decade of basically every technology startup and everything that came out of the national labs in energy that one of our research scientists was writing up as a multi-client study. Every utility and every CBC in the business was his customer. This was what they saw. He was probably the top yeah, networker in the sector for, for a long, long time. So that was the anchor of the portal. And then our clean tech blog was set up to kind of launch the content. You know, it's content is king. You need content. Yeah. So this was going to be our content engine. And I got a couple of really rock star bloggers to come help. And we started, you know, we started writing. That's what kind of got that pulled, pulled together. And so when you say you wanted to be, and, and you've got the NREL, you've got this, you know, CBC, you've got this huge uh, collection of folks or, or, or database that you brought to it. And so when you say you wanted to be the Craigslist, again, you wanted to be the hub of all things clean tech. If you needed anything, research. What, that was the original concept, right? Okay. And the portal world, world, of course, has moved on. Now we don't consume content in portals anymore. We consume it in, you know, in social. So the LinkedIn's, Facebook's. So right now the clean tech group, we, we run a, 40-something thousand member group for clean tech on LinkedIn. I've run another 11,000 member group for just for carbon, just for carbon markets people on, on LinkedIn. And okay. so you start just to consume content differently. Yeah. yeah, um, the, yeah so it's it just, it was, but the, the concept's still alive. We, we did a prize competition, you know, year, about 18 months ago with one of my largest LPs at, at Energy Transition Ventures, a company called the GS Group, which is number seven on the Korean conglomerate list. They had an innovation program. They wanted to kick it out and get some, you know, some press and engagement on it. Yeah. Said, great, we want to get some stuff going too. So we ran a hundred thousand dollar prize giveaway. GS gave away a hundred thousand dollars through our platform. You know, we 
brought in hundreds of startups to pitch. Yeah. yeah, we got down to a 25 startup semis. We got down to a six startup finals. I got you know, a buddy from Royal.Shell, a buddy from Amazon's Climate Pledge Fund, one of our advisors, Deb Merrill, who runs a business for EDF and used to run Just Energy, a couple other people, and we had them do the judging. Got one of the investors from the GS Group over, and, you know, and we put up the startups, made them pitch. Uh, Simvita here in Houston won the won the finals at a really cool show. So yeah, it's it's still real. When we want to actuate our network, we just kind of pull the trigger. For a long time, I struggled to use the term clean tech because I thought about it as energy. But no, it's a great term. It it's it really does give us all something to hang our hat on. Yeah. Now startups don't call themselves clean tech startups. When they grow up, they call themselves a wind startup or a solar startup, or an energy storage startup. Right. But when they're raising money, how do you describe it? Well, it's still a clean tech startup. Right. Yeah, but look, that was our marketing project for Jane Capital. We yeah. started, we had Macquarie Bank, we did a bunch of deals for Macquarie, and we would, and a couple other strategics after that, and we would then cherry pick for ourselves. And we did, at one point, we were probably founding and spinning off a, a company a year out of Jane Capital. Yeah, and the, so we'd seed them, and we'd you know, pick up some, we licensed some technology out of a university, spun one out of a private lab, did one for a big corporate, one of the first utility-scale solar companies you know, running around for Meridian Energy, New Zealand state-owned power company, you know, did some couple we spun out of Australia, spun one out of a, um, yeah, a big corporate R&D effort down there, and superconductors and smart grid, I think we had Three IPOs out of seven companies, best hit rate, except for my partner, Craig Lawrence, of any venture capitalist in the business. Craig only did two deals at Excel, Sunrun and O-Power. The, okay. the, the story he tells is partnership was kind of done with cleantech, and so they turned him down for in-phase at about two orders of magnitude less than its current price. So it, category killers, right? That guy's got a nose. That's why I partner with him. I wanted to be a journalist, like, I'm jealous of journalists because journalists are awesome, right? So, to be a journalist, I got to get a real story. Yeah. So, number one, we do a lot of interviews, we'd CEO interviews and that sort of thing, which are great. They're easy to do, they're fun. Yeah. PR firms would send me people, right? PR firms would do, like, wow, these guys are literally, they show up and they bring... Now you're a VC, right? All they saw was I was cleantechblog or cleantech.org. Okay. Conferences would give me media passes. I would go with a journalist media pass on. Basic deal, you give me a media pass, I'm gonna do an article. I gotta do one anyway. I might as well do one on, on your show. Or, inter or hey, who's your sponsor? I'll go interview your sponsor. There's always some good story. I interviewed, I had a great interview with the product manager of the Nissan Leaf. Brilliant interview, oh, fantastic. We, I broke the story on applied materials entry into solar with the San Francisco Chronicle. Okay. How? because one of my friends was in a carpool with a guy working at Applied who told me this stuff was happening, and I went and pulled their patent list and some job ads, and you could kind of see what they were working on, yeah. and wrote it up, and of course, nobody cares about my blog at the time, it's still young, so I got the San Francisco Chronicle to pick up the story. I basically partnered with them to write the thing, and yeah. once it hit there, it got hit elsewhere, of course, they're all citing us, and, with a broken story. We then broke the story of IBM's entry into solar a year later. Yeah, so there's some real journalism in there. Absolutely. And then some of my guys, they just write op-eds, and they were good op-eds. 
Yeah. So we had we had fun because what we found is you got to make it real. Well, and that's the thing, right? Is you weren't just doing puff pieces; you were doing legit news. Yeah. And the what was there was an old there's an old phrase that one of my investment banking bosses back when I was at Bankers Trust in Houston, oil and gas, taught me. He was called investment banking by the Wall Street Journal, which is a pejorative term that says if you see it in the journal. You already been beat a long time ago. Yeah. You need to be making the news that goes in the journal, not reading about it and then calling that company and trying to get in on a deal. Right? Okay. Same concept. It's too late to the Wall Street Journal. Exactly. Same with blogging. You know, you're either in the mix or you're not. But I was partnering with journalists and we would swap stories and ideas and leads and I'd cite their stuff. They I was on the blog role of the Wall Street Journal, Reuters, yeah, uh, we did the first blogs in green tech for CNET when CNET launched its blog, blog thing for Christian Science Monitor. I was their first Energy Voices blogger. I mean, it's real stuff. Yeah. And so this, this stuff's cool, but it's a marketing project. So how do you balance it? Well, look, other places hire a PR firm. You spend marketing money. I didn't have a marketing budget. Didn't need one. Didn't pay to go to conferences. Why? Because we were a conference, right? We, we ran stuff together. Yeah. Yeah, conference wants people to show up. They'd send me a note, hey, can you drop stuff onto your network? Can you actuate your network and bring them there? Not a problem. Give me some free discount codes. I'll ship them out. We'll get you a few people. We'll get you. So we were media partnered to everybody. It worked yeah. like a charm. Now, to be fair, Chain Capital was a small volume deal shop. You know, we didn't do very many investments. We didn't really do very many deals. So I just needed to find one or two a year. Yeah, so. It worked really well, and you know what? We had a, had a few other kind of fun exercises. I was the got to be the MC of the Clean Tech Open you know, Nationals. That was probably the highlight of my entire career. Standing up on that stage, that my comedy act. If I'm no, I wasn't that good, but it was so much fun. We with the Harvard Club of San Francisco, we did one of the very the uh, something called the Carbon Showcase. That was you know, basically how to do offsets, which was. Boring for 10 years before that, boring for the last 10 years, hot again and very hot then. Standing room only in the Harvard Club of San Francisco. Awesome show. I designed it, hosted it, recruited the people, put it on, just a blast. VCs don't always get to do that. What, what did we get out of it? Well, we met cool people, cool yeah. startups. They show up. You know, They give us a shot to be in their deal, and we just got to find our one or two. So it really did. What did you enjoy more? The Jane Capital side or the clean tech side? Well, it's all the same. You're writing about the stuff okay. you're living every day. Okay. You're all we, you think about all I do all day long. I talk to my CEOs and I go try and help them do whatever they need to do. Find investors, customers, people, suppliers, what have you. I talk to new CEOs and founders and try and decide if I'm going to write them a check. And, or I talk to their investors, their customers, et cetera. Or I talk to my partners about those people, or I talk to other investors. And the fourth thing is I talk to my LPs or prospective LPs. We just kind of talk, but it's all the same topics. It's energy transition, IRA, ESG, this tech, that tech, one of my guys' tech, R&D plans, hiring people. It's all the same stuff. Just like if you're trying to put on your podcast, and you're in the business all day long, which you are, right? You're, yeah. you're, in the, you're working in this field. Absolutely. Right? So what, can you tell us what you're doing Absolutely. now? Absolutely. Uh, marketing consultant with uh, Inawats. Inawats, right. Absolutely. Cool little company. 
One of its first investors was Roll.Shell. One of my former colleagues there brought that in. Awesome company. We've and you've had um, you've had Ampron on at the show, haven't you? I have. Well, right? this is before I got on with Innowatz. Ah, fair, fair, fair enough. Competitor to Innowatz. Yes. Cool little company. Yes. Doing very, very well. Yes. You know, they were in our shop a while. I mean, so. What's the difference between your day job? You just got to make it real. So you want to have good content on a podcast? You just got to be in the game. So I, yeah. Now, I did tell my colleague, Craig, I'm like, Craig, we, we need to run a podcast. Craig's like, no. I'm like, what do you mean? I can totally do a podcast. He's like, no. Now, why didn't he want you to do a podcast? I think it's that theory that when the VCs start doing the podcast, you know they're done. <laughs> There's a lot of product managers in consumer and tech and there are a lot of them on the coasts. There are not very many in Texas. We do projects, not products. There's no people in the valley that know how to do a big energy project. It's a combination of, you know, for say for green hydrogen, right? It's a power business develop or development uh, IPP type cost structure yeah. with a midstream projecty thing and downstream customer offtake things yeah. built by an EPC. There's nobody in Silicon Valley that knows all three or four of those worlds. Yeah. There's 50 of them in Texas. The ones in Texas don't know tech. They don't know startups. So these worlds have to talk. Yeah. yeah, as a venture capitalist, I think part of my job is to meet a lot of people, look at a lot of opportunities, have a lot of coffees. Yeah, somebody, this lady today, they were showing me a really interesting little technology. and. It's part of kind of the little get to know you first part of the chat. She apologizes for taking time, appreciate it, all that, whatever platitudes. But my response to her is true. It's like coffee's cheap, you know. My job is to have those 30-minute conversations and then to see patterns. And then after that, the job is connecting people. Yeah. To make us all money somehow, to progress the technology, to get employees to join, get you know, uh, new investors in. Yeah, and these are interesting. These are actually Silicon Valley problems that Silicon Valley has solved. Silicon Valley understands how to scale businesses in really interesting ways because they understand how to build and utilize networks and connections yeah. to create products and drive businesses and scale and form capital and customer relationships and that sort of thing. The rest of the world that knows energy, like Texas, got to figure out how to do some of that to scale this stuff in the energy transition because it can't be done the way it was done before. What is it, the young lady that you spoke with today, what does it take for uh, Neil Dykeman to take a meeting? Persistence. I I'm gonna tell you, you're gonna love this story. All right, so we funded earlier this year a company called Renew CO2. We're turning CO2 into monoethylene glycol, MEG, the precursor to plastics. Okay. Now the main competitor to that process is from gas and it's rolled out shells process called the Omega process. There's and the, the Saudis have an, a different process, but there's only two big processes and a whole bunch of plants making all this all this plastic stuff. These guys are out of Rutgers. And the, the two inventors, yeah, Karen Calvino and Anders Larson had had worked with their professor and had created a novel catalyst to allow them to selectively reduce CO2 in a water electrolyzer, just like the little hydrogen electrolyzers. Yeah into all the way into a chemicals product, a very interesting one, really cool. So uh, they had gotten an SBIR, 
you know, you know, government grant. And one of the tendrils of this government grant said, you got to go commercial. I do some commercialization stuff, like do some feasibility, some techno-economic, find some customers, try and raise money. You have to go do something. Government's figured out, really bad idea if they don't go get some venture capital money at some point. So they put in the deals, go, go try. So they won a bunch of competitions and all that. And, but now they've got a little bit of money here and from the, one of these grants. And so they hired a guy by the name of Peter Shepard. And so, Peter, so Peter's an old chemicals hand. He was at a startup, knows this stuff, run a couple of businesses. And yeah, come help him out. So he, they brought him on as a consultant to come assist. So Peter, I was at a Greentown Labs event right across the street here in, in Houston. Talk about connectivity. Yeah, the Greentown Labs original headquarters is, is Boston. Right. There are only two of them, Boston and Houston. It was essentially launched with Shell as an anchor tenant way back then. And Shell and Chevron helped launch Greentown Houston as part of the Ion District where ETV is headquartered. And the, one of the ladies over there, yeah, who, Juliana, who runs Greentown Houston, yeah, I helped her get her job, i.e., one of the guys there who was a former startup guy who was working at Greentown and used to have a microturbine company had called and said, hey, we're going to bring some people on. Who do you know? And I gave him some names and she ended up being one of them. So just these are connections. Yeah. She was one of the first people I met when I came back to Houston 10 years ago. So obviously they think we're pseudo nice at least. So they invite us to things. Right. And she'd set up a panel and invited me to speak on this panel. So I go speak on this panel with some other people, and I was saying snarky stuff. Can you? So hard to believe. Can't see that happening. Set you up there. So Peter was in Boston watching the event, because they streamed it. Greentown streams everything. Yeah. And sends me a note. Said, hey, saw you at Greentown. Great, whatever. I get these notes all the time. Right? I blew Peter off. Why? Because you get them all the time. No, I sent a note back, said, sure. And we just, the, the follow-up didn't happen. But whatever. Yeah, for whatever reason, it, it, it didn't blow Peter off. Didn't mean to blow, just, right. just kind of happened, happened, right? Happened. Yep, time passes, right? Eventually, he sends me another email. Peter's very persistent. And part of why he's been successful at running companies and all. And so he sends me another email. And right, great, fine, they send me over a deck. I read the deck, and I, I just, you know, by this time, it's getting close to holidays. Holidays get in the way. Thanksgiving gets in the way. The meeting takes several weeks to happen. Yeah, all right, whatever. Finally, finally, we get on a call. He brings Karen and Anders, and they deliver their pitch. And to be fair, the deck didn't blow me away. And, and it, it's stuff that we looked at at Shell, and it's, it's chemicals, right? This is a hard area for venture. Had a few little red flags in it, whatever. After the call, I sent him a note, and I'm like, yeah, send me some papers. They had me papers in a few hours. And I sent a note to Peter saying, I'm sorry I didn't take the meeting. That was stupid. This is a very interesting company, right? Needed the 30 minutes on the phone with the founders in the pitch. You know, How did it start? Literally a cold email. Blown off cold email twice from some random little panel that I said on saying snarky things that he wasn't even in the room. Right. Right? And he didn't even work for the company. He was just an advisor to him. Now, the moment we funded that company, 
start working on Peter to join, he's now the COO. It's a great story. Very excited. Did you know that you part of if you invested that you wanted Peter? Oh yeah, Peter's investing? awesome. He's awesome. Okay. Yeah, it's it's this business about collecting people. Yeah. Right? But so something like that kind of shows so how does how does somebody get a meeting? This one today was referred by another investor. Okay. As a corporate investor, they're smart. They like corporate investors struggle to do early stage stuff sometimes, especially if there looks like anything that doesn't have like a rocket ship venture financing because they're not company builders. You're in a corporate, you're trained to be nice and partner with companies, or you're trained to go steal their stuff, preferably the first, not the second. But you're in one of those two camps, and certainly if you're nice, you're not gonna, you don't want to go have to build the company and make the hard decisions all the time and force them you know, and kind of make them have to grow up. Yeah. So we'll get, we got a call from him, and it said, hey, we met him on the phone, having this chat. He's like, oh, you're interested in an area. I know a new te technology that you might be interested in. Sends it over. Take the call. Why? Well, it's interesting to him. Yeah. Means if it's technically interesting to those guys, it's not stupid. Yeah. It might be dumb, but it's not stupid, <laughs> right? And it turned out this is pretty interesting. So, first thing I told her, I thought, great. This is an area that I don't quite know enough technically to handle myself in. I know enough to get myself in trouble, but I got a guy back to the network. Yeah. Right. Fifty thousand people on our LinkedIn groups. Yeah. I got a guy, he, hap this is, he happens to be the perfect guy for this tech. He was working on this stuff 20 years ago, 30 years ago. Yeah. So I said, I need the papers. Just send me something technical for them to read that hopefully encapsulates the whole thing so he can read one paper and tell me. And, and I, what, I, what I tell these startups is real simple. When it's a technical thing, not a SaaS startup or a little all just all about the business metrics and product market fit and all that. When it's a technical thing, you need to give me something in as encapsulated a form as you can, white paper, a stack of papers, technical press, something that is gonna tell a scientist as good as you, they don't know your stuff, but they're as good as you, who is familiar with the state of the art or capable of understanding it as soon as they read it, that person needs to be able to look at what you give them and get their eyes to light up and say, ah, I understand how it works. I understand why it works. I understand what it is and how it's made roughly. And then I understand what they've demonstrated that has moved the state of the art. You gotta make their eyes light up. When I was in high school, I worked for a wood floor company. The guy running that wood floor company at the time was a former Harvard MBA and West Point grad who basically turned around small businesses. And I don't even know if he knows this story, but the way I understood his strategy to be and what he told me one time is when you walk into a situation and it's not working, something's broken, plants losing money, product didn't get out, whatever the issue is. Go back in time until you figure out what they changed and tell them to unchange it and see what happens. It seems so basic and easy, right? Sure. But it's hard to do. Yeah. Right? So you see a lot of times where you kind of walk back in this history. Oh, yeah, it's not a rocket ship. But it looks like it should be. 
Why not? Let's go figure out what happened. Maybe they just weren't stepping on the gas because they didn't have some resources. Maybe yeah, they were focused on product A and hey, we had one we passed on the other day. He sold me a business plan and I'm looking at it and I'm like, and he told me a little bit about his history and his backstory and the product they'd done kind of as an afterthought. And I'm like, I don't like your product. I think this is gonna kill your company. I think this is a really dumb area to go after. I like your other product. Can we do that one? And I'm not in his deal. I have the luxury of just looking at it and saying I'm I like this over that. That looks interesting. So I, you try and put yourself in their shoes yeah. and say, okay, yeah, number one, is there a fatal flaw problem in case we're not going to fund? Or is it a fixable issue, like a go-to-market? Have they screwed up product pricing? Now, if you're in a SaaS company and you're going and playing the little product market fit and all that game, that sort of thing, got your little metrics, well, either the team's figured it out or they haven't. You're just backing people and then helping them figure it out. But this is energy, right? So the tech has to work yeah. and the customer and the policy's got to allow it and all that stuff. And then you get to things like, maybe it is just, y'all not pricing that right. Not a problem, we can fix that. In fact, that can be tried in 60 days. So why don't you go try that before I fund you? Because you don't want to take my money and go pound a rock in the wrong direction on purpose. Trust me, we will both do badly out of that. Right. So maybe we can go figure, let's figure out a playbook. So usually by the time we fund the company, because yeah, it takes some time to get a deal done, there's the intro stage and all that. Usually by the time we fund them, yeah, we're all on the same page with what to go do. Yeah. Now we may be wrong, but we're usually not wrong. You know, what different folks along the way have helped kind of really shape and guide the Neil Dykeman that is sitting across from you today? Well, look, you know, you, you get raised by your family and you learn all these little life lessons sure. and you don't really realize all the things that have been sunk in yeah, over the years as you're growing up. Yeah. Actually, I wrote a little book, haven't published it, but I wrote a little book for my little girls who are seven and nine. Okay. I wrote a couple of years ago, actually, when I left Roll.Shell, one of the things I didn't sit down is I wrote, these, wrote this book. And the book was basically how to manage your money, personal money. If I die, you know, somebody's got to explain it to them because all this stuff written out there is, is dumb. Can you send that, um, that book to me after we're done? <laughs> uh, and then I wrote a second book, which was an aphorisms book of just basically a list of all the anecdotes and stories that I'd grown up with from my dad and, and our family that you don't realize how formative they are. So then you get into business and work, and the same thing happens. So I started at the Bankers Trust. I had no idea how good the people that I was working for were. Yeah, they, I mean, there were a bunch of future CEOs and CFOs in that group. A bunch of them, and a bunch of people that were junior staff who went off to BMDs as well and, and, and do a bunch of fairly interesting things. So you get lucky, right? Yeah, I, the places I spent the longest time at, when working with Jane and Woody at Globalgate and Jane Capital, et cetera, man, there were some sharp people there. Yeah. yeah. The, the two of them founded more companies than all but half a dozen people in the world. I mean, they're just prolific. Yeah. So you pick up lessons in ways that are super neat. The Macquarie experience. And back when we were working with Macquarie, nobody had heard of Macquarie. It was brand new to the U.S. They had like 100 people in New York, and that was it. Now it's a fairly household name, especially in our sector. Yeah. Well, 
I, I still refer to the incubation acceleration company launch model that we use. It's a combination of the Macquarie model, and, and actually you'll, you can go, he's still in the business. You go find a guy by the name of Dan Phillips who founded that group way back in the 90s. We're still using a variant, I'm still using a variant of his model and the Woody and Jane how to launch a company model. Okay. And I took that model to Shell and that's what I was shoving down World Dutch Shell's throat. Not always so successfully, but because it works. Yeah. And that's what we're, when we're launching startups here, when we're, we're working on spinning one out of ETV right now, well, hopefully it gets launched here pretty soon. But when I get a very young startup, what I'm teaching them, I'm teaching them those models, right? Yeah, we know how to get companies up off the ground. We know how to launch them. We understand the, the steps and the process to go from a blank sheet of paper or nothing to a shot on goal. Now, to make the shot, your tech's got to be good. You got to execute well. You can't run out of cash, you know, but most of the startup world today thinks around terms of, you know, the, the, the agile startup and lean and all these, there's really cool toolkits and, and, and things that didn't exist for us back in the day. Yeah, but I, I tell most of my teams the the first, it's kind of like playing a, a, a board game, like a, one of the German strategy style board games that exploded in the 90s and early 2000s. The first phase is usually a card acquisition phase. You, you gotta get resources. And then you start playing resources. And sometimes you need to play resources earlier than you need to because what should, because what other people are playing, and sometimes you can hoard them. But the first phase is getting resources. In a startup, the same is, is true. The first phase, you got to get some cash. Sometimes you got to get some IP and some tech if you don't have it. Sometimes, and you got to get people. You got to aggregate some resources to take a shot on goal. And then you got to get a bunch of shots on goal, or you got to keep shooting or something to keep progressing forward, but you have to aggregate the resource. And if you can't aggregate the resource, there is no shot on goal. So you gotta get to your A or C round. And I think a lot of the startup world has learned this over the last decade, where we've got the advent of the seed and the pre-seed and the prize competitions. There's pathways to accumulate non-dilutive capital. Non-dilutive used to be a very bad word in the Valley. We don't use that, That's, that'll defocus you. We've learned, no it doesn't, it's, it's a tool. Yeah, so we try and explain to our startup founders who haven't been through it before, look, it's okay to spend some time getting everything ready, getting, pulling together, grabbing resources, setting the stage, and then hitting go. Yeah, it's okay to, yeah, if you, if you take a deal out and you make five phone calls and it doesn't sell, the conventional seed Twitter wisdom says, oh, just keep, sell them, need, need hundreds of them. No, they should be like my conversation with Peter and Anders and Karen. As soon as you get my attention and we're sitting down and actually talking, it moves fast. So you need to select your investors, not just ones you want, but ones that want you. It's like sell, stock is your product. Hey, are you interested in a deal in CCU and carbon capture utilization? If the answer is no, don't pitch them. Yeah. Do you lead deals? If the answer is no, don't pitch them. How big a check do you write? 
if the answer is different from what I'm looking for, don't pitch them. If you're a good salesperson, well, is there budget? Do I got a decision maker? Do they want my product? Are they actually a customer? Are they in the market for this? If the answer is no, don't waste your time. Your thoughts on the IRA? We've got a looming recession. At least that's what we're hearing, depending on who you talk to. How does that factor in? And your thoughts on 2023 for Neil Dykeman and uh, Energy Transition Ventures? Oil prices are high. Gas prices are high. The costs in clean tech technologies are still falling, even when prices aren't. All I really see is tailwinds. Yeah, yeah recession be painful. Higher interest rates be painful. The IRA, it's like, net net half a trillion dollars of government money flowing into my sector everybody's going to get rich off it i did i think it was needed no i kind of thought we had this handled i i kind of thought you know we're, we're short people in startups i'm not not sure we were short cash yeah. uh, it's nice to have it's gonna yeah we did not underwrite for it in any of our startups we we thought we were off to the races regardless of what washington did and now washington has decided to drop half a trillion dollars on everybody in my sector uh, yeah, so I don't know how to, I'm a libertarian, I don't know how to tell you whether that's good or bad, but it will probably do well by me and my startups and a lot of other people's. Uh, will it accelerate the energy transition? Probably. Yeah, some of these numbers are absolutely insane. Yeah. Did we talk about this the last time? Not, not, on the, not on the reported part, no. Back when I was doing carbon, if I had told people, you're going to get 40 bucks a ton for an offset for, I call it five or seven years, just a few years, but I'll guarantee it, they'd have shot their grandmother and fettered alligators. And the government decided they're going to give us $60 a ton to convert it into stuff and $85 a ton to shove it down hole for a decade. It's, it's like free alpha. Yeah. We thought green hydrogen was going to get to the $3 a kilogram and well south of that without any subsidies. We thought we were already there. That's what we backed Omium for. The government's going to give us $3 a kilogram on, to our customers on top of everything else. That's kind of insane, but awesome. So now within say 36 months, the fuel's basically free. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I, it's a huge shot in the arm for everybody. Yeah, was it needed? Well, I think the world's real issue has been policymakers have thrown kinks into the system that keep all of us from getting the problem solved that we know how to solve. I don't think we're short on cash. I think we're short on smart people and smart startups and companies working in the area. I don't think we're short on technology. There's a lot of technology out there. Yeah, I do think we are long on really stupid policymakers. Would you ever run again? Back. Ran for U.S. Senate US against Beto and Ted, and I, I lost, by the way. For those of you who forgot, I was the Libertarian nominee in 2018. Yeah, and uh, I might not be sitting here today had, had I beaten Ted Cruz. Chances we wouldn't be here right now. Then again, I, I don't think there's actually any restrictions on people in Congress running businesses and front-running stuff, so possibly I'd be doing the same thing the rest of them are. Yeah. That was a pejorative. I, as far as I can tell, they, they all do. That's, that's kind of the game of the game is front run the law you're about to do. 
part of why I ran was to stop that stuff. But, so, look, my wife told me I'm not allowed to run again until the girls can vote, and the oldest is nine. Okay. Um, we might have a discussion on that, but it was, yeah, it's not happening in the next cycle or two. Thank you so much for that, Mr. Neil Dykeman. You can catch all of the Power Connect podcast over at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and, of course, over the website as well, thepowerconnect.net. We've got a lot coming up here in the very near future. Buck Martinez from the ACES program and a former Florida Power and Light executive. Great information and just overall a great story from what Buck is doing over in South Florida. Sid Kitson from Kitson & Partners, former NFL guy, now uh, running one of the most impressive real estate development operations in all of Florida and what his Babcock ran was able to do after Hurricane Ian. We'll get into all that more with Sid. Brad Wills from Schneider Electric, Harold Overholm from Alight Energy, and then we've got uh, a great conversation that we're going to record this week with Mr. Kevin Cushman from Electrada and much more to come. So as always, got a shout out to the entire InnoWatch team. Shout out to Sid, Krishnan, all the folks over there, uh, and all, of course, all the audience, the guests, everybody. Thank you guys for tuning into the program. Tune in, shout out once again to Mr. Neil Dykeman as well for his time and just for being an overall good dude. This has been the Power Connect Podcast, connecting the energy transition one conversation at a time. Wake up all the builders, time to build a new land. I know we could do it if we all lend a hand. The only thing we have to